flashing back to flashback. It's Amigos, episode 365. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're going to be talking about flashback. Oh, now, you know, in the United States, this was released as flashback, the quest for identity. Yeah. Aaron is a way of introducing some light banter into the show. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask you, have you found your true identity yet? Well, unfortunately, I have, but <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid, yes, I have found it. As mundane and low-end as it is, this is my true identity. Kind of a tubby geek who likes old crap. And, but I'm, the good thing about uh, getting old is that you slowly lose your memory. And so old things seem new again. So I could just sort of repeat the process in about 10 years. What about you? Have you found your true identity? You know, I, I think that I have. And it's a mirror image of your own. So it's kind of weird how that worked out. You know... Speaking of flashbacks, like when you hear the word flashback, at least when I hear it, I think of hallucinogenic drugs, right? Really? Yeah, that's what I think of. Uh, and uh, uh, I was reading this week that they are talking about using uh, uh, hallucinogenic mushrooms yeah. to treat the Ketamine. various disorders. Did you hear about this? Well, it's been, I, I've read it in several sources as well. Uh, yeah. it, it's interesting to me. Because this is just another chink in the in the armor of what we were told in the eighties about all drugs are bad, all drugs will kill you all the time. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it, I saw a thing on the news. They'd use hallucinogenic mushrooms to treat uh, these guys who were career alcoholics. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, the, I guess this guy had had a vision. He'd went on a vision quest boat, you know, right. and he had had this vision of a, of a whiskey bottle, and it was in the desert. And it slowly disintegrated, and that's how he knew it was over. And he and he has had a drink for like seven years. I mean, it sounds kind of wacky. Well, there could you know, be something I'm, to it. I'm actually glad that we're talking about this because I was reading something about this in the Rob Report magazine that I get every month, and uh, it's a it's a magazine all about Rob O'Hara. And uh, the um, <laughs> the the gist of it was is that it can cure all of these things, um, but. If I was faced with this, there's all there's something in the back of my mind that says, you know, what if what if I go all um, what's his name? Sid Barrett, you know, afterwards, I'm scared. You know, that that sort of that sort of frightens me a little bit. Are my fears misplaced? Do you think? You know, I've got to I've got to tread lightly here, Boat. Uh, but but let's just say I think you'd be OK. How about that? OK, OK. Yeah, are you saying you have a friend that's tried it? Let's just say I'm not an alcoholic, Boat, and we'll leave <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Let's get the hell out of here, Boat. <laughs> news, news. Can we go to the news? Uh, okay, that's okay. what that well, means. I didn't know if you wanted to segue. Or... <laughs> Don't leave me hanging. <laughs> All right, Aaron. You know the time of the year has come when the largest Amiga-centered Amiga only festival in the United States has announced itself. Amy West 2022 is right around the corner. Oh, man. It's hard to believe we're almost to October, but it's rolling around again, just yes. like the Welch's grape juice in your mouth. So, uh, this is Aaron, this is going to be, uh, probably 
you know, one of the biggest uh, Amy Wests of all time because of the crew that they've assembled here that are going to come and speak. Uh, R.J. Michael is going to yeah, be involved. Of course, R.J., the, the, the mind behind the sort of uh, workbench uh, environment of the Amiga. They call it like the intuition system, I believe. Yeah, he's uh, a big he deal. Was the, yeah, he's a big deal, the mind behind that. And then the big guy, the keynote speaker, the banquet speaker, as they call him, is going to be Tim Jennison uh, of New Tech fame. He he is the creator, Aaron, of the video toaster. Awesome. A big deal. Yeah. I'm telling you, when New Tech came around, I remember the first time I saw the Welcome to New Tech like demo or whatever. I mean, I know this is lost on you, but I was like, holy smokes. And then you started hearing about this video toaster. I can't tell you like how awesome it was that you're like, I mean, the thought of making TV shows in your own house, it's funny now because any, any schlub with a, with a cell phone can just come up and they can make a little video. But the idea of video production and editing uh, and, and, and processing in your home on your home computer was leagues beyond what you could imagine back in the day. Uh, so the, I'm sure this guy's got a zillion great tales to tell. I'd love to see that. Yeah. And listen, you need to register for Amy West and head out there if you're anywhere close to the West Coast, uh, because there is no unlike some events. The Tim Jennison talk, he is uh, he one of one on his rider. He does not allow himself to be recorded, and so the 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 Tim Jennison talk will not be recorded in any way, shape, or form. If you what? want to listen to what he has to say, you need to be there in person. How do you get that in your contract? It can't you be can, recorded. What is he a vampire? You can, you can do whatever you want if you are the uh, the the accomplished engineer that created the video toaster. I guess. Does that? What do you think about that? Does that strike well, you as me, weird? It strikes me as a bit arrogant, and uh, it strikes me as a guy that I probably don't want to talk to or interact with at any point. Maybe he's so. afraid he'll say something that. Now wait a minute, I'm going to back this up because we don't want to say this. We don't want to bury this guy. But maybe he's afraid he'll tell a tale. That like it like hoses another guy and he don't want to hurt the guy's feelings. Now that's what the good well, reason to do that. It could be, it could be that, or it could be that this guy makes a living traveling around speaking at various events, and he doesn't want to lower his get rate by being recorded because he tells the same stories at every place he he goes to. Listen, that never stopped me. I just <laughs> well, let's just say that Tim's going rate for speaking in an event probably a little higher than yours. Well, that's true. I'm giving it away. It's funny. Rob just mentioned the guy who invented video recording hardware does not want to appear on video recording hardware. Good one, Flack. Yeah, the yeah. ultimate irony. You know, I'm looking at this guest list here, Boat, for Amy West, which, by the way, we we buried ourselves at Amy West a couple years ago uh, uh, with that little speech we gave, as I recall. But you got uh, uh, you've got uh, Chris Hooper. Stefan uh, Renier, and you've also got our good buddy, uh, Tenmark, will be at this event. Uh, and I'm guessing probably the Pixel Gaiden boys, uh, well, the American arm of that outfit will probably be there. They were there the last couple times. Hopefully, uh, Doug will be okay. You know, uh, just a little shout out to our good buddy, Doug. Uh, I read on Twitter that he had just uh, went in the hospital uh, to have uh, something removed. Uh, but uh, uh, hopefully he's feeling good and he's out. If not now, then by the time this uh, gets released. So uh, get well soon, Doug. Uh, we miss you. Yeah, absolutely. We hope you feel better, Doug, and we hope that you're back in business making some great videos before you know it. That's right. Well said, Bo. All right. 
Aaron, let's move on, shall we? We've got uh, kind of a light news week, but we do have some videos that popped up on YouTube that I thought were interesting. This first one is is uh, not anything we haven't seen before. This is just a, a video uh, by uh, Mr. Lurch's Things, who's a YouTube channel. Uh, and uh, but I just thought it was really well shot. You know, there's there's tons of Amiga content on YouTube these days. We are we are spoiled for Amiga content, but every once in a while. Something comes along that that impresses me, and this is basically uh, it's there's not a commentary. It just kind of shows you what this guy did. He he took an Amiga 2000, he took it apart, he cleaned it, and he put it back together again. Uh, but because of the way the lighting, I thought was really good. I thought the music was good, and the music is fe- is is this band called the British IBM. Oh now, yeah, I believe. Yeah, Chris Folds, I believe, is close and personal friends with the British IBM. I think he's in like Flynn with those guys. Yeah. So um, they do good stuff. I've, I've liked yeah. a lot of their tunes. They get around, yeah. too. Yeah. They're they're well known. This is where did you find this at? But just random, uh, random fooling around. Yeah. Ran, you know, if there's one thing I know how to do well, it's randomly fool around on YouTube. Look at the look at the background here. Uh, if you're watching uh, at home, you can see it. If you're listening, I'm looking in this background here. He's got he's got your a couple of TRS-80 Model One or Threes. He's got a Max back there. It looks like he's got a Coleco Atom. It looks mm-hmm. like uh, 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 he's got a uh, uh, gosh uh, some sort of old Commodore uh, back yeah, there. Yeah, he's got a CPC four six four. Yeah, he does. I didn't see that. Yeah. Good call, boat. And he's got some yeah. sort of potato headed parrot, which is kind of. <laughs> I, I believe that's a potato head wearing a Darth Vader. Is mask. that what that? I think that's what that is. Good. So, hey, listen, uh, watch the guy just to see that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So L. Curtis Boyle in the chat says that he believes that Mr. Lurch is Australian. Very good. So you can you can take that for take that to the bank. Thank you. Elle. All right, Aaron. Finally. Not finally, we still got a couple more. We got Neil, our good buddy Neil, our boy. He's back with another Commodore Amiga 1000 video where he's restoring this thing. This is part three, part three. And this involves the disassembly of the keyboard and the cleaning of the muck in between the uh, in between the keys. Now, the, uh, the A1000 keyboard is really a w- very well, some would say over-designed piece of hardware in that you can completely disassemble it to a much larger degree than you can many other keyboards. And uh, so Neil takes this thing completely apart, cleans it up, reassembles it, and then does some work on the case. Uh, I have not completely watched all of this yet, but it looks like he goes into some of the art, the news articles that uh, led up to the release of the A500. And so he kind of goes into, you know, how the Amiga 1000 was slowly kind of pushed out the door with a uh, cheaper and, uh, you know, better computer, which is the way of all computers since the beginning of time. You know, I watched I watched this uh, right when it came out and I was appalled. Because every time I watch someone clean a 1000, I look over at my 1000, which looks like uh, double crap. And I'm like, man. And I don't want to get tired of that keyboard. And despite what you said, Boat, I watched a video. Because when you get down to the bottom of the of the Amiga 1000 keyboard, the micro switches are kind of like tough to get out. They're like soldered in. Uh, hmm. our, our good buddy Chris Edwards did a video where he actually repaired a couple of these. It ain't no uh, walk in the park. Uh, if you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, it, it's tough work. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's the only person I've ever seen do it. I'm sure others mm-hmm. have done it, but he recorded himself doing it. So uh, I, I urge you, if you're going to try that, to uh, look down his playlist to see if you can find the uh, one episode where he actually does this. 
I've got keys on mine that are just... Everyone else's Amiga 1000 keyboard, seem okay. My keyboard, I think they dipped it in molasses. I didn't let a pet roll on it. I mean, it's jacked up, brother. And well, so, this is this is the keyboard that you got from the armed man in St. Albans, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. Hey, listen, it was worth it. It was worth risking my life. I love having the 1000. I will say, Neil puts a gimmick in here. Uh, where, and I, you know, I, this is something I've thought about doing, where you let you uh, have an external drive be your uh, drive zero, you know, that shtick. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that's a good angle, you know, for these things. And then he, he routes it to a, routes it to a, uh, a drive that, you know, just like a USB floppy drive, that old shtick. Uh, yeah. and then in between the cleaning phases here, he goes into the, uh, uh, precipitous fall of the, <laughs> of the Amiga 1000. And one thing watching this video, uh, will show you and, and Robbie sort of touched this too, but they, the Amiga 1000, uh, it's tough. To, listen, it was a miracle piece of hardware, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's tough to call it a success. In fact, I wouldn't call it a success, and it wasn't the computer's fault. It was because the Commodore, even back in those days, were idiots. And Neil goes yeah. into the bits where they're skipping con, they're skipping shows, and they're saying they've got enough distributors. We don't want any more. We got plenty. And Atari yeah. is like, oh, we'll take those distributors. You know, <laughs> right. dumb crap like that. Because if you're a distributor or someone wanting to sell the Amiga, and they're like, ah, oh, we don't need you. That's really their way of saying we're dumb. Please go to our competitor, and they did. They Absolutely. went right to them. So yeah, Absolutely. this is a, this is another one of those eye-opening pieces. There's never a video about uh, Commodore where you're like, they did the right thing. They're great. They're all make yeah. you think these guys you, are idiots. You, you never come away thinking that about the management. Yeah, there you, you go. Know, Chris Edwards in the chat, Aaron, has offered to uh, fix your Commodore, your A1000 keyboard for free. Well, thank you. you. Send it to I them. appreciate that, Chris. But see, there's a I've got a policy, and the policy is I'm not going to pass on to someone else the thing that I should do myself because I'm a lazy jerk. And so I, uh, I've, at some point, I'm going to get your video out. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to do it myself. And then once I screw it up, that's when you get it. So it'll be t- you got two generations of me fooled with it to go. But yeah, I, I really well, endorse this. Good video from Neil. Good closing to the to the A1000 series. Speaking of Chris Edwards, okay. let's move on to our final video yeah, of the week, comes. where we yeah. see we see him live and in person. Well, not live, but recorded and in person. Yeah. He's starting this one out without the hat, so you know it's serious from yeah. the get go. He's dead tired too in this. That, I, that's that's when he's at his his hoboish best. That's what I like about him. Much like this, <laughs> when you work at home and like it's just late and things aren't working right, it's just like you turn to crap. That's the best part. That's the best part to see. I love being in the audience for that. And now. This, it- this is interesting. You've watched this. Yeah. The The title of this video is the Amiga 4000T Quick Pack 060 CD-ROM, yeah. a bunch more numbers, and then glass and RAM. Now, Aaron, tell me, is this some, is did the Amiga 4000 come with a glass front, or is this some sort of an aftermarket no, thing? No, no, no. I, I don't know. I don't remember that part. I remember everything else, including the uh, issue you had with the, trying to get a... Uh, he was trying to use one uh, CD-ROM that he couldn't get to quite work right, so he had to switch to another one. He's in here, plexiglass. He says, but I don't. If it had plexiglass, I don't know about it. Um, mm. This is an interesting video again because I had one of these, and I remember te- poor. I remember this is long ago, but way before the Amigos, one of these came into my possession, and I remember opening it up and I looked in it, and I looked at like I, I put the cover back on. I'm like, we gotta sell this thing. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'd been inside the 500 or the 1000, but this was a whole new kettle of fish here. I was like, I'm done mm-hmm. with this. Uh, but uh, hey, it's good stuff. Hey, it looks like a, a it looks like a good computer. He does some 
He does a little software experimentation here at the end uh, that I like. Good stuff. You know, like I said, you guys know it. I like his stuff because uh, he he reminds me uh, he's the everyman repairman. He's always and by the way, he's super talented at repair too, and entertaining guy. So give that a check out. I also should mention, uh, I, I, which I'm assuming this is still up on his channel. He did a uh, live stream uh, this week, which I caught. Uh, I caught the end of it. Uh, but it looked like a lot of fun. He had a good crowd in there. So if you're in, and I think was answering questions and stuff. So if you're in that sort of thing, uh, flip over to his channel and check out the live stream, Boat. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to do it for this week's Amiga News. I think that's all we got this week on the news, Boat. Let's kick it off and talk about some flashback. Well, we're going to flashback nope. one more gonna... scene before we do that. Listen, I did that on purpose because I knew you were going to say that. Bam. <laughs> So what does that mean? You're some kind of some kind of mind reader. I'd work right. on your own mind and you. work on your own mind. Time. Yeah, the time has arrived. And for a rewind, Aaron, let's talk about it. If they could only send something to make you remember promos, we'd be laughing. Listen, <laughs> I think Frank's in the house today. Thanks for coming in, him. Frank. Uh, let's talk about retro rewind. What is it? Well, it's a North American based. Uh, uh, company that sells you anything you can need or want for your Commodore machines. Now, listen, we just talked about how Commodore dropped the ball. And you think to yourself, a company so inept, surely you can't get parts of those old crazy machines. Oh, yes, you can. You can get parts, you can get service, and you can expand upon the shortcomings that Commodore left in these machines to make them super-duper machines. For example, they released something called the Amiga 600. This thing was a world-class dud when it came out back in the day. I mean, nobody wanted to touch this thing with a 10-foot clown pole. Nowadays, it's a coveted item because you got to have it. Why? Because you can put an accelerator in this thing and make it the King Dong of Amigas. Guess where you get that accelerator boat? You get it right here at RetroRewind.ca. On top of selling peripherals, uh, flash cartridges, and the like, uh, Frank will also provide you world-class service on your classic machines. If you don't want to get in there and tinker with something, send it up to Frank. Frank is a master repairer with decades of experience at the top level. He has equipment you never heard of to take care of this business. We saw it firsthand at Boat Fest. Frank and his staff know what they're doing, and they get it done quick, efficiently, and at a great price, don't they, Boat? That's right. And speaking of great prices, you can fill your cart full of goodies Use the promo code AMIGOS10 when, before you check out. You can save 10% off your entire order. No matter if you're getting a transit card or a full recap service, 10% off your order with that promo code AMIGOS10. We appreciate Retro Rewind, and we thank them for being a sponsor of Amigos. Mm. Now, now <laughs> let's do it. Hit it. Pretty creepy boat. Creepy, creepy song there at the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. Haunting. So this week we are going for it with a little game we call Flashback. You know, uh, this is the uh, this is our uh, I don't know monthly flashback of our own show where we cover things that got looked at in the first fifty shows we did. Those wacky shows. And I was telling a boat uh, that I actually went back and to check out our show on this game. And I was stunned to see that it was actually one of the very first episodes that we 
uh, used the green screen on and and taped. So there's actually it's it's weird. That was weird. 2016 boat. Uh, it's funny. Yeah, a long time ago. You know, one thing I want to mention before I get too far, and it's like you had, you were covering uh, the very first Amiga Ireland, and you were like, boy, wouldn't it be nice to go to Ireland? I've never been. And so lo and behold, oh, you eventually wow. made it. Who would have known? Isn't that kind of yeah. crazy? So uh, Flashback uh, released on the Amiga in 93 on four discs uh, and uh, was amazingly released, uh, published by U.S. Gold. This is at the top Gold. tier of the U.S. Gold uh, yeah, uh, catalog. That's for sure. And developed by an outfit called uh, Delphine Studios out of the Big F, uh, France. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's very uh, serendipitous, Aaron, that we're covering this game this week. Seeing that you just came off a week of talking about games from the Big F on ARG Presents. We sure did. It is timely. We'll get to that uh, a little bit later. But yeah, we talked about games from France. And so it's neat. It is kind of neat. It's funny how these things work. I wonder if somebody somewhere thinks, oh, it's all a cunning plan. It's not a cunning plan. It's just it's funny how <laughs> things work. Uh, this game. You know, Delphine, we talked about them on that episode, and Delphine, sort of a, uh, they do top-tier work, I would say, but if you want to look at it that way, probably most famous for either this game or Out of This World, I would say, where mm -hmm. they're two pinnacle games. But they did some other really good stuff, including uh, Cruise for a Corpse, uh, Future Wars, mm -hmm. which you've covered both those, and the Stealth of, uh, Stealth Affair, there, or uh, in America, it was the 007 James Bond game that they relayed, but I can't remember the exact name. Uh, the graphics, the concept for this game, and the designer of this game was a guy named Paul Cousant, or Cassette. Uh, he was responsible for several of the games I just mentioned, Cruise for Cores, Future Wars, uh, and he did a game called the Bio Challenge. But I'd say this would probably, when you when you think about that guy, this is the game that you, that you would uh, think about. Uh, the cast, I'm not going to go through everyone that worked on this, but it was a lot of people. I mean, they, this was a, they had a staff. This isn't something that just some uh, bedroom coders slapped out. This was a full-on effort. Uh, and uh, amazingly, it works on the ECS OCS, so there's no AGA here either. You can get your, uh, you can uh, get your hate out uh, for another week on that. Uh, in terms of All where... All right, don't mind if I do. <laughs> no, I'm just cutting you off. Um, this was converted to almost every conceivable uh, item on Earth that could run it. I wouldn't say that. Listen, I, I'm, I'm going to run down to a few of these. All right. The 3DO, the Archimedes, the Mac, the Jag. I, I couldn't yeah. believe this got a Jag port. I've heard the Jag. I've heard the Jag port is actually, aside from the Amiga, the next best port of this game. That's a, that's crazy. It got, a, it got a, put on the FM Towns family, uh, the NEC PC-98. The SNES, uh, of course, the DOS version, the CDI boat, if you can believe that one. What do you think of that, the CDI boat? Uh, the, well, uh, this was this was the time when you know people were actually thinking that the CDI was going to be something in the market. Uh -huh. So you know it did. You know in the early nineties, it did get quite a few uh, ports of these sorts of games. It showed them, uh, didn't it? Good luck playing right. that on that joystick that shipped with the CDI. <laughs> that thing sucked. <laughs> uh, the of course you also had the Mega Drive slash Genesis uh, port, and it's got a Mega CD uh, slash uh, Sega CD port. Uh, you know, and stuff that's new since we covered this the first time. This got a uh, highly touted Xbox Live uh, port that had been, like, uh, souped up. There's also a Dreamcast version of this that was some kind of homebrew where they took... They basically took all the great music from the Amiga and all the great cutscenes from the DOS version of this and melded them into one game for the Dreamcast. That's that's kind of neat. That's cool. And there's yeah. a, there was a Steam version of this that used some sort of... Uh, 
uh, souped-up engine, new engine. I've, I've heard it's it's double garbage. I mean, double garbage. Mm-hmm. I've so, heard that, too. Yeah. yeah. And then there's an upcoming uh, game in this series, which we'll get to at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the look. We'll talk about that. Um, so... Oh, I should mention, I, I looked, at, just for fun, I was wondering what this thing sold for. According to what I found, and then your mileage may vary, but in, in the UK, this was this originally sold at a price of 25 pounds. 25 pounds for this one. But does that sound about right to you? Yeah. I'd, yeah. Say, I'd say that's a, the going rate of a top-tier title back then. So, before we get into the game proper, just a, just a smidgen of history, Boat, uh, on this game, because it does have kind of a colorful background. So, uh, Delphine Studios had a pretty good rep back in the day, and U.S. Gold was like, listen, we want to get, we got a new game license we want you guys to put a game with, and the game license was The Godfather, right? Mm. <laughs> Thanks. And so, which, by the way, have you, have, you know, I know you hate violence. Have you ever seen The Godfather, any of The Godfather movies? I have. Oddly oh. enough, I have seen, because The Godfather, everybody talks about it as one of the great movies of all time. Yeah. And so I, I I I I stomached the violence to watch it, and I will say it is it is a very good film. The third one though, man, holy, not so good. No, and so that good. was no good. But those first two are gold, and U.S. gold actually. So U.S. gold was like, listen, it's let's get you get this cooking. And so uh, uh, Paul uh, Cousset was like, yep, okay, sounds good. He started cranking something up, and then uh, they you know they worked and worked on this thing, and eventually when. Uh, when U.S. Gold looked at it, they're like, "Listen, this because they they wanted to make a, a Godfather game, but it was Godfather of the Future, you know, like say Future Godfather." <laughs> really? Well, I mean, that's listen. How would it be the Godfather at all then? You could make a futuristic Godfather. It I mean, would just isn't be... the futuristic Godfather just a mafia movie? Well, one would wonder how the license for the Godfather would tie <laughs> right. into that. I mean, there's <laughs> holographic Marlon Brando. <laughs> listen, even U.S. Gold was balking at this. Like, listen, we don't know what you've got going here. But so they were like, listen, you don't need the Godfather license for this, but with the game looks good. Let's go with this. And so uh, they tweaked it quite a bit. Uh, and uh, ultimately became up with Flashback, and which was, and this is admittedly, uh, Kusan said they had, were inspired by a lot of movies of, the, uh, you know, science fiction movies at the time. And you could see the uh, the influence on a lot of these uh, stuff like uh, Total Recall and sure. uh, Running Man and mm-hmm. Terminator was one they mentioned. Uh, so, and unlike other games we've played that said they're based on stuff, this is actually based on stuff, not just saying it to look cool. You know the game mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Um, and so, uh, uh, this game, uh, eventually was finished and was released, uh, to much effect, much, much praise. Uh, this game used a rotoscoping technique, which was, uh, really, uh, used by the studio with great effectiveness in, uh, out of this world, uh, and was refined even further in this game and really has its origins way back at one of my favorite games, Prince of Persia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's so where this, that, that was the root of this. Campaign. That's right. Mm-hmm. So all these games uh, have that similar realistic look, realistic running and leaping uh, characters that look like actual humans, you know, the, the movement that, as you would expect it. Um, <clears throat> the lead character, this is named Conrad, according to what stuff that I read. And you never know what this kind of praise stuff uh, Conrad, over the in course of the whole game, all the stuff that he does has a thousand different like animated animated frames, like of all the different stuff he does. He does a ton oh, of sure. stuff. I, I can see that. 
Because I uh, mean, there's 24 frames in a second. So. Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. but I mean, he he does he and he's he does a lot. They have him doing a bunch of different moves. He's got a lot more moves, let's say, than like the Prince of Persia guy or the Out of This World guy. He right. does a lot more right. stuff. He's also right. got a gun, shields. He does other stuff like that. Um, so. Uh, in case you're wondering what the game is in terms that uh, in terms of the background of the game, just and this is the briefest of brief backgrounds, but then we're gonna get into the game proper. Uh, it takes place in 2142. You play Conrad B. Hart, uh, one of the Hart Foundation, I think. Uh, and uh, you basically begin this movie. You see a guy running off. There's a cutscene where he's being chased. He's on like the space motorcycle, and much like Lionheart. He gets shot down over a jungle. I think they horked, they someone horked a gimmick here, and it couldn't have been Lionheart. But this poor guy gets shot down over uh, uh, over a jungle area and has to survive using his uh, athleticness and his and his brain power. Uh, when he lands, he doesn't know who he is, and so the subtitle for this is, in, at least in the states, was flashback: the quest for identity, as you mentioned in the in the opening. Uh, once you land in the jungle, you can get this thing called a holocube. That will give you basically. It's a recording of yourself saying you need to survive. You need to get the new Washington, uh, and that's when the plot really takes off. And I'm not going to get into the whole plot, but it involves uh, alien shapeshifters that are called morphs, and the, and uh, uh, this guy's quest to basically take them down and then get back to Earth. Which, uh, if you, I'm not going to give away the ending either because it's it's got a pretty good neat ending in it as well. Um, this game is tied together with uh, cutscenes. And the bill on this thing back in the day was this was called the CD game on a cartridge uh, boat. Hmm. Uh, now, okay, I don't. Ninety three. How old were you in ninety three, boat? You're twelve. Twelve. Did, did this thing resonate at all with you back in those days? It came out from the. SNES, I, re- well. I remember. I remember when this came out. I might have even rented it, but I did not enjoy it. But I, yeah, I did. I did play this one back in the day. I'm pretty sure. Uh-huh, I see now. Um, so. Let's get to the, the the game proper, and we've played this game on stream. We've played it. We've streamed it on uh, on the channel. We've played it in Megathons. We're pretty familiar with it. And my goal this week was to sit down and really give this thing the college try. Uh, just as in terms of presentation, the music, the opening, uh, uh, what do you, what does this thing do for you? Um, much like Out of This World, this is. Maybe even more than out of this world, I would say this is the most cinematic game on the Amiga full stop that I've ever played. I mean, everything from the music to the settings, to the variety of settings, to the story, to the dialogue, uh, to the the animation, everything about it. It just screams. This is like they're, they're trying to make a film. They're trying to make this video game a film. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it's they, it's done very cinematically, which is sort of our hot button on the Amiga because we're both big Cinemaware fans. I like mm-hmm. when uh, I like when developers make an effort to pull you in. And and uh, listen, we've played a lot of games on every system that we've tried that were sort of half-assed, basically, or they you know or not. They did some some things we liked, some things we didn't. This is a fleshed out. Uh, this is a fleshed out environment that's got all the nooks and crannies. Uh, covered when you even in the opening in the lush greenery, the way it's rendered, uh, this thing took a different approach to making graphics, and and it, it gave them the ability to have an even finer detail than you would normally es- expect. And they did a great job. Everything looks nice, uh, and every they've got nice sound effects. 
the uh, of course the movements there. And I guess really when you do a rotoscoping game, you sort of have to really go all in on the backgrounds because you've gone so far in on the actual movement of the characters, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And so I don't think absolutely. they really had much of a choice with that. So once the game begins, I want to let's go ahead and just talk about the controls, Bo. Let's just go ahead and pull it, drag that out in the open. What did what you know this because this is one of those games. Uh, where the controls, uh, to a certain degree, are a big part of the game. Uh, yeah. So, so give the, us the, the way this ga- the way this game works is like there's an invisible grid that your player is always uh, a part of. So you are moving through this environment, and your you know when you push the joystick one time, it's always going to go the same distance, and when you run, you're always going to run the exact same distance. Um, and, uh, the game is success at this game depends on your ability and your willingness to come to grips with and become familiar and excel at this control system. This is nothing new. This started way back on Prince of Persia. That's really the, this control system has its roots in Prince of Persia. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, the in a game like Prince of Persia, you have help. The help comes in the way that the levels are designed because you have these floor segments. They're almost like concrete slabs that let you line things up. And flashback, maybe what they were in, in, in and also with another world, they I think that they were assuming that everybody played Prince of Persia and they were kind of ready for the next challenge. They kind of assumed that people were used to this, this control system. And uh, and we're ready for something a little bit more challenging out of the gate. And so you really have to think about this game, not like a platformer per se, but a almost like a game like Manic Miner, where you have to calculate your moves, every single move that you make on a particular level. Uh, you know, really, you have to you have to plan it out ahead of time. There's no such thing as like emergent platforming dynamics in gameplay on on flashback you're not going to be able to do things right your first time through i'd say 90 percent of the time if not higher this is a this is a puzzle it, it this is a puzzle platforming game that's very very cinematic and the puzzle is not a brain thinking puzzle it's a controls puzzle so if you have to ask yourself do i want a game that the the challenge of the game comes from me having to figure out the controls. And then once I do that, I'll be able to, to do everything else or the spending, you know, possibly weeks or months figuring out just how this thing controls and how to apply these controls to each and every screen on this game that when you go all the way through, it takes you over two and a half hours to beat. Do I want to spend the time allotted to me on this earth doing that? That's a that's a, a deep thought, Boat. You know, just to just to give people, if you haven't played this, and I'm sure a lot of you have, but just for the folks that haven't tried it or haven't played it for a while, the game, of course, you've got your Amiga joystick there. Uh, by the way, you can also play this with keyboard, and uh, uh, I wouldn't, but you could. But uh, what you've got here is a game that lit that gives you two button support, and it's okay. Not- well, let's talk about what two button support means. Okay, two button support doesn't mean that you get any more control over your character. 
it's not like up to jump becomes yeah. button to jump. It's literally all another it does, button. <laughs> all it does is give you, it gives you one less thing to reach over to the keyboard to do. Right. That's all it does. Well, I mean, but I mean, it's, it's a big help. I, it's well, not. It's I not a big was. help. I thought it helped no. me uh, because what it, you know you can use to you draw your gun with the other buttons, your action button. Listen, I I, I know uh, uh, you're not a fan of the controls in this. Uh, game and I'll and let's face facts. I'm not a I'm not a fan of the controls either. This is a game I bought this game years now, ago. Let, and, let me ask you a question yeah. before we go further. Before I forget, you're not a fan of the controls of this game. No, but you are a huge fan of Prince of Persia. Yes. So for me, I find these control systems to be similar. What makes them different for you? Well, Prince of Persia is a simpler game. Is part of it. Uh, also, Prince of Persia, you don't the gu the gun, the shield, that stuff. It's not as not a big. There, there's no inventory to worry mm -hmm. about on there. There's no. There's no like. Uh, none, this game has got all the for the rolling. It's got it. It's got. It's just a different game. Don't get me wrong. Prince of Persia's. Uh, I like Prince of Persia, but it, even that game, as much as I like it, the controls, in a lot of ways, are the game. And I mean that's that, that your ability to control the prince is how far you're going to get. And then once you figure out how to control them, then you actually get try beating the game, uh, you know, the, the perils in the game. And this game is similar. Some people are quite comfortable with the controls. Uh, and I mean, you always talk about, I, I compare this to Lionheart in a certain way. I'm going to compare it again. Not control-wise, but you know how Lionheart's sword, like you've never liked how he swung the sword uh, because it's, it's awkward. It's an awkward control method. And this is a similar method. Now, once you master it, you can be you can get to where you're pretty good at it. And it's the same with this game. It's just a matter of whether you've got the uh, uh, the, you know, the tenacity I, I to share, pull it off. We, one of the one of the great things about doing these uh, these second look programs is that we can draw upon the experience of our YouTube commenters that commented when we first posted this episode. And I want to share a comment. Marj1980. Okay. Uh, this uh, Marj says, "I've never had a problem controlling flashback." And then the last sentence says, "It does take practice, and it took me a few good years to be able to play it naturally." <laughs> there you go. There okay. You go. If it takes you a few years to be able to control your character naturally, you have had a problem controlling flashback, and the problem is not you. The problem is the game. You know, the funny thing about a game like this, because I mean, okay. Is the game uh, a, a tour de force visually? Absolutely. Is the audio yes. good? Yes. No I've watched no the story. Question. The story's very clever. I like the puzzles. I like every part of this game. Yeah. Except one. And the part I th that I don't like is the part I have to endure to play the other cool stuff. Again, uh, when you uh, this game is vastly popular. And it's funny. I was play Like I said, I played this a lot this week. I got my two-button stick out, the whole shtick, right? And I was doing, I did okay, okay. But the the frustrating thing about this game is when you when you just roll to your death, or you don't stop in time, or something like that. And you know, it just I, that is, those are the worst deaths because you're like, oh, jeez, that you know, I feel like I'm fighting the controller, and it makes me want to quit every time. And I forced myself to. I actually got past a couple levels, you know, well, with with some save so, states and whatnot. But I mean, yeah, but it was fighting. Because I didn't play this with save states because I wanted the pure experience. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. And with this game, especially it's the second time we looked at it, I wanted to say, okay, if I'm going to sit down and give this game two or three hours, how far can I get in it playing it au naturel? Okay. Yeah. 
and I didn't get far at all. <laughs> and I became more and more frustrated. I can tell. And at the end, I mean, and I called you. Yeah. And I ranted about how <laughs> upset and how much I hated our freaking selection committee for making us play this game. Okay. Yeah, he did How was do I rate? I've calmed down. I've I've taken I've you know I've 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 gotten over it. But this game and it's not it's not just the controls, but it's also the one hit kills. It's very dragon's lairy. Like, well, like in the first stage, when you get the shield, it's not you know you can get well, in, in, like in in the first stage when you when there are those like there are things that will kill you in one shot. It's, I'm not talking about bullets. I'm talking about like when you walk over like that gas those green thing, yeah, the the gas or the and stuff little like sparks, that. yeah. And there's no way of knowing that that's going to kill you until you just you have to you have to figure it out. And again, that's it's, it's freaking dragon's lair. Um, and when you die, you don't get multiple lives. There's no checkpoints. You're back to the beginning of the stage, back to the beginning of the stage. And that is no, and now again, I realize we're talking about an older game and older games were different, but for me looking at this game in 2022, being like, man, can I recommend somebody go out that's never played this? Will they enjoy it? My answer is a resounding no. Well, there, there are, there, check, there are in le mid-level checkpoints. Not, not that I got to. Yeah, well, not, you, you because, get very far because exactly. they do have them. They they are there, so I can that I can but, vouch but, for. I mean, here's the thing: if it does, that doesn't help you when you get to a part where you die. Like if you if it literally takes you like five or ten minutes just to get back to where you were, because again, you're coming to grips with the controls on this, and it's not easy to get back to where you were. It's not just like a hop, skip, and a jump. And the thing that makes it even more frustrating is that you can look at the screen and you can say, if this game just controlled normally, I could do what I wanted to do with no problem. Yeah, It's the controls that make this difficult. And that's so frustrating. It's so frustrating as a game player to have that feeling. It would be awesome. I've thought about this so many times. If this had the controls of like Mario, I would be yeah. I'd be killing yeah. it. I would love that. Yeah. Or Contra, yeah. you know? Something like, like something more arcadey, you know. Anything. Anything other than this would have been an improvement. If this game would have had the controls of Top Banana, it would have well, been better. Well, the thing is, I mean, when you look at the control scheme, right? I mean, you've got here's the thing, you've got an inventory, okay? You've got uh, the ability to pick stuff up and to use stuff, and you and plus the stuff you can do with the gun. You can shoot. You can you can roll and 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 aim. You can also whack. You can pistol whip a guy. You know, you, there's yeah. stuff, there's now, a lot of moves you can do. And so I they, will I will say this: if I beat Prince of Persia and I beat Another World, I would have welcomed a game like this because that this game is the logical evolution of games that are like that. Yeah. Because if you'd mastered the controls to the extent that you could beat both those games, you're going to want a roll move. You're going to want to manage an inventory. You're going to want to take things to the next level. And I totally, totally get that. Yeah. But I think your average player today is not going to have mastered those games, and that's a big difference. In 1992, if you were a computer gamer, you would have had at least passing familiarity with Prince of Persia on some system. I, I agree. You're, listen, well said. Uh, this is a game that is, you're right, it's a natural progression uh, of those other games. And I think, I will say, looking at this with modern eyes, I mean, because it's still, let me tell you, it holds up in every way for me but the controls. But, it, yeah. but the thing is, that hasn't changed. It's funny, I went back and when I watched our old show, which I think it was episode 48, uh, uh, I thought to myself, I bet I, I thought, I bet I put this game over because I didn't want to get like look like a, like a chump. 
But like nothing changed. Like it, our conversation now, you were less angry when we did that episode. But generally, <laughs> it was pretty much the exact same conversation that we're having now. It's just not been able to come to grips with the controls of a game like this. And it, if the thing is, you were talking about top banana. If you can't come to the grips with it in a top banana, who cares? It's crap. It makes right. it worse that this game looks awesome. It's got elements right. that I love. I'm like, oh yes. man. And and you when you talked about the progression from Prince of Persia, like I'd say I'm a pretty good hand at Prince of Persia. I'm not great, but I can get halfway okay in another world or out of this world. And then and this but this is a bridge too far. I just mm. I, I'm like you, and unlike you, I use save states to be in fact you told me to. And I was like, You're right. I use save states to beat the band because I didn't want to get frustrated and give up. And that's how I ended up getting as far as I did. I would save every so often. That's how I knew there were save points, because I would save every so often I could get I wanted to get to New Washington. I wanted to get to places I hadn't seen before, you know, and do stuff. And it, and it was fun. And I eventually could, I got the controls down to the point where, well, listen, that's not true. I never got comfortable enough with the controls where I didn't just randomly die because I hit the wrong button. And when you can't mm -hmm. get any past yep. that, you're done. You're done, son. Mm -hmm. So that that's that's where we stand. I will say there is there are multiple levels of difficulty yeah. that you can choose from in this yeah. game. They add enemies, I, I, yeah. Yeah, and it's basically just the addition of extra enemies. Yeah, so. I, I I put it on the dumbest possible guy that uh, mm -hmm. I can find. Um, with all that said, uh, this game uh, got over quite nicely uh, back in the day uh, and sold very well uh, when it when it was released uh, to much acclaim, I might add, uh, and was uh, quite popular. Uh, eventually, they released they did release a sequel for this. Uh, the sequel. <laughs> What happened on this sequel? But have you ever played it? No. In fact, it's we were talking about it on the Discord. I, I was not even aware that it existed until fairly recently. Yeah, it, the uh, uh, the sequel was called Fade to Black. Uh, it was released on the PC and the PlayStation. Uh, and uh, I never, I don't think I, I may have tried it once or twice, but I don't remember ever playing it. it and this game ends on sort of like a, I don't want to say a cliffhanger, but it ends in a way you could, we're definitely setting up for a sequel. Yeah. I mean, I understand you not wanting to spoil the game and I don't want to spoil it either, but I'll say, you know, I watched the, the, the full playthrough of this. I watched it at multiple X speed because it's a very, very long game and there are repetitive sections, but the overall story arc of this game what you have to do, what your character goes through, and then the way the game ends, like the final scene. I mean, again, I wasn't, it was not hyperbole when I said this might be the most cinematic game, cinematic, fully realized game on the Amiga. I mean, it's just great. It's, it, well, I mean, listen, it's, it, in terms of the presentation, it's, it's at, at the tippity, tippity top. Um, there was actually a third game planned, uh, boat called Flashback Leg, uh, uh, Legends. And Delphine went out of business before they could release it, which was in 2002. And then uh, there have been rumored games. We talked about some of the sequels and whatnot. Uh, but get this. This is as timely as today's headlines. Uh, they just released a preview uh, on YouTube in June for Flashback 2, which mm -hmm. was uh, announced by Microids. Uh, last year, and it's going to be uh, released this winter uh, for all the major consoles and the PC. I, I mean, the video for it, of course, they can't just show you the gameplay. They've got to put a bunch of crazy effects in there and stuff, but the gameplay looked 2D-ish with some, you know, I'm sure that's some pseudo 3D. I, it's hard to tell exactly. I know there was a part where he was, there was some sort of driving 
uh, or flying or motorcycle part of it where you're flying around. So they've obviously they've taken some uh, license with it. But it might be interesting. I don't know much about that that outfit, uh, so it's hard to say if it's going to be uh, any good or not. But it might it might be okay. I'm, I, would you play a second one if it had maybe better controls? I'd play this one if it had better controls. I can't imagine them releasing something like this on like the Switch or the Game Boy and it getting over. I mean, uh, on the Xbox. I mean, could you think modern players could adapt to this sort of play style? No. If they if they release it, it'll look something like Shadow Complex, which will be great. And it'll have the same aesthetic. It'll have the great story and everything, but it'll control like a real game. So, you, well, I mean, again, I don't want to bury the controls because the, I want to. Well, but the thing is, you, they were doing that. There was there are this this game requires elements of control that are that necessitated them to a certain degree to have unusual controls. That doesn't oh, yeah. mean it had to like, be bad, you, but you know. Well, I understand. Like I understand from the perspective that you'd be able to finish this game probably in thirty minutes if you could actually control your character. Is that a good thing? Well, <laughs> there you go. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the. I don't know exactly what, uh, what the uh, you know mindset was. But hey, uh, you know they they sold a ton of these, and this yeah. game, like I said, get this. According to uh, results uh, from various uh, publications, they'd sold seven hundred fifty thousand copies of this by nineteen ninety five, and gosh, it's probably well over a million. Well, I mean, uh, this got console release. This got a Super Nintendo yeah. release. It got a Genesis release. Yeah. So this is. I it, mean. Mega in '94, Mega placed this game at eighth on their top Mega Drive games of all time. Uh, mm-hmm. In '97, this was '92 in the EGM 100 best games of all time. Uh, it, 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 a Polish publication named this uh, the 17th best Amiga game, which I think that's. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not gonna say it's low because we're sort of burying it, but yeah, I can see where it would be higher. Uh, Retro Gamer in 2004 named it the 65th top game. The list goes on and on. It's well, over. Listen, when you talk about computer games, not console games, games that are the prettiest are always going to score highest. Computer gamers at their core are graphic snobs. And so whenever you have a Shadow of the Beast or you have a flashback, <laughs> you're always going to get more points by looking great and having great cutscenes than having good gameplay. You sound like a console a kid with a chip on his shoulder to me, Bo. It's, just, it's a fact. I don't agree Pretty with that. Wrong. I don't agree with Pretty that. Wrong. There's plenty of good games that don't have great graphics that still got over. Not on these lists. Not on these top 10 lists or top 100 lists. Listen, stuff like Lemmings and stuff gets over all the time. It didn't have great graphics. Come on. You know, you know, or something like something like Sensible Soccer. Those things always score high, and they weren't like tour de forces of graphics. You're not going to find Shadow of the Beast in the top ten of anybody's what top one hundred oh, yeah, games. You will. Yeah, you will. No Just way. look at any top ten Amiga list games. You on find any top ten list with Shadow of the Beast one on it. You go find it because right, I'll be I'll look it up right now. Don't look Keep right talking. now. Look later. So, um, uh, review wise, you may be stunned to believe, but this is probably of all the games we've ever looked at. If, I, if we've ever looked at one that was more well better reviewed, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, the Lemon people give this an eight point seven six. Uh, I'm not going to go down through these, but it, the lowest score that Lemon has recorded for this thing, I believe, is an eighty seven, uh, and the scores are almost all in the nineties. The average score for this game is ninety two. It was a monster. Uh, in the magazines, and uh, that would explain why it, you know, plays so highly uh, amongst all these uh, all-time lists. Yeah. And it's so this is a game you don't forget when you play it. It's so evocative, the scenery and everything, and the, the you know the the opening cutscenes and the, the the opening scenes and everything. Uh, it's a game that you don't forget, and it's a game that sticks in your mind. And so, obviously, people are gonna you know people respond well to that sort of thing. And you know, again, 
I'm taking this as a, from a perspective of a person that never got the grips with with you know elementary school, which is Prince of Persia, let alone middle school and other worlds. So, um, you know, again, it's just it's hard to get myself in that mindset when I'm not of that mindset. And so, even but, even with the controls uh, such as they were, I just want a couple more things before we move on to the Discord reviews. The Take the joystick movements and all this crap, and, and have to go back and forth to your inventory. And the, I didn't. I thought the inventory usage was a little nutty. I, it could have been better, uh, but even stuff like I, I hated when you would roll up on a guy and you you couldn't shoot him and you couldn't pistol whip him, and you're right, mm. you're on him. So what? He couldn't shoot you, and that happened to me a lot. So there's, it's not like this thing is without flaw. There are things that you know. There were things that could be that could be fixed. Also, uh, the the fact that it's, it's a uh, flip screen game you know <laughs> this game because it, it, it's tough to jump from screen to screen that that also was not my favorite because you it, there, there were a lot of cheap deaths in this you know uh as mm -hmm. you roll on the screen you've got to be quick you can't just meander through or just fall falling in the spots you know and when the controls are fighting you and then you fall a thousand stories and then you land in a place where there's a bunch of guys you're boned the controls could screw you that way too. So again, it wasn't like this. Just aside from the fact that we didn't like the controls, it wasn't like there was nothing else wrong with it. There are little problems with it that make it less enjoyable. But, I mean, everything gets traced back to controls because that's what a video game is. Everything gets traced back to the controls. How did the uh, what? What was the Discord vibe, boat? Well, I can tell you this: the Discord is not going to be too happy with me because the Discord loves this game. <laughs> um, Lord Stoop says. Handsome, fiendish, compelling, addictive. A 16-bit finest hour in a game everyone interested in 16-bit era games should try. Maybe you won't love it as much as I do, but you might. Remake is iffy. iffy. The sequels are poor. Stick with the classic 10 out of 10. Wow. David Hearn Ryder writes, Flashback was a cracker. Featuring stunning graphics with rotoscoped animation and varied colorful backdrops that pulled you into the game world. Part platform, part action, part puzzle, and part adventure, it ticked all the boxes. The variation in the brilliantly designed levels will knock your socks off even today. A landmark game and an icon, 9.5 out of 10. Jocko6502 writes, 30 years ago I completed this. This time I made it back to Earth. This game is tough. I was pleased to find Flashback is still enjoyable. It's clunky in places, but it still holds up. The most annoying thing was having to stop and select various keys to use. I have fond memories of this game, and I've owned it for a number of platforms, but never really played them much. The Amiga will always be the true original. Great graphics, audio, and cutscenes long before that was a thing. Plus a dash of borrowed plots from They Live, Total Recall, and Running Man. Flashback corrected a lot of the problems with another world, and for me, Flashback is the true king of rotoscoped game action. A real Amiga classic, 9 out of 10. Mm. And finally, Alien Breeder writes, Flashback, it really was the, quote, godfather of games back in the day. Get it? This was another <laughs> game I had back in 1992 and was blown away by the graphics and rotoscope movements. It was like another world, but with more modern gameplay graphics was a showcase game that I never got anywhere with. Even playing it now, I still can't get very far, but if I rated games on my ability to progress, 
they would all receive very low scores. <laughs> Flashback comes with great cinematics with a beautiful world, and even today it still looks and plays great. The controls take a little getting used to, and that seems to be the case in all versions, but offers two-button control. Natively, it does require some keyboard functions, but that doesn't really hurt it, and much of that can be gamepad mapped on emulated systems. Flashback was released on many systems at the time and later, but the Amiga was really the flagship on this one. The Nintendo looked just as good, but seemed to run at a slower speed. The Genesis played well, but didn't look quite as good. The CDI was small for some reason. The Windows version that came a little later and the Jaguar version seemed to be very good as well. Overall, given the nice graphics, sound, and atmosphere, I give Flashback 878 top bananas out of 1,000. <laughs> Very good. Um, you know, I should before we fold the tents on this, uh, I, I was surprised to read that uh, the contrary to, and this is, <clears throat> you can look this up, but this I read this three or four different places, and I thought I would include it in our discussion. Uh, uh, this game wasn't originally done on the Amiga. Uh, this was actually programmed, uh, this is, again, I had always heard it was, but from what I've read, this was actually first started on the uh, Mega Drive, and but the Mega Drive uh, was actually released later than the Amiga version, so I don't know what, you can read into that what you will, do, do your own research, that's what I read, I was kind of surprised to read that. So if you look at these side by side, uh, the Genesis version, or Mega Drive, if you will, is uh, is eerily similar uh, in its look to the Amiga version, uh, and I uh, having played both of these, they you know I, there's not a whole lot of a difference. Like I said, most people there's a good chance that a goodly amount of people played Flashback on the Amiga with a Genesis stick. Uh, ironically, did you have you tried the uh, Mega Drive version of this both? I did. I tried both the Genesis version and the Super Nintendo version, and yeah, I'll say that the 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 Genesis version is pretty. I mean, I I found them to be almost identical. The Super Nintendo version you want to avoid. Uh, it it seems to run pretty slow. Uh, although maybe it had to do with I don't uh, I don't maybe I had wrong settings maybe I was playing in PAL or something but it didn't seem to run as fast and it just didn't look as good the aspect ratio looked weird so stick with the Genesis if you're on a console of course if you're on a computer play the Amiga version yeah I, I agree with that you know I looked this up on eBay it's funny uh, I mentioned on our very first show that or the very first time we looked at this on um, whatever it was episode forty eight or forty nine that I had owned this and I had sold it. Uh, to get Christmas money. I distinctly remember doing this. I, I remember when I bought this game because it looked so awesome. I couldn't wait to play it. Then I sucked at it, and I didn't get played that much by me. And I think I sold this for 50 bucks. And at the time when we did the first look at this, I said that that's about what they were going for. They've went up since then, uh, uh, if, since uh, 2016. I saw people tr attempting to get uh, between 118 and $200 U.S., uh, for a box copy of this, uh, I saw some sell uh, for 56, 59, 70 bucks. Uh, so I would say you're probably going to be looking somewhere in that $70 range. Uh, you can get the re release for about 20 bucks if you look around in the UK. Of course, this is all in the UK. And if you just want the discs, you can get those for, you know, around 14 bucks, uh, boat. So, yeah. You know this this one this game sort of makes me sad, but uh, you know it it is what it is, Bode. We, uh, I'm. It's funny we we have a, a shared opinion on this one for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, Aaron. Let's leave flashback and see what's been going on in the old YouTube channel this week. All right, we had some uh, interesting uh, releases uh, this week, uh, Bode. 
Let's talk about uh, something that you put out here. Carve Up versus City Connection. This is uh, in your uh, in your new series, Attack of the Clones. Why don't you talk right. through it? So on Attack of the Clones, I take a look at an Amiga clone version and its uh, original arcade counterpart. Uh, and uh, Carve Up is uh, it, it incorporates the same sort of street painting um, mechanic of City Connection, uh, but you pilot a car that looks like the car from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Remember that uh, anthropomorphic car? Yes. What was that? It had a name. I can't remember what it was. It was like Speedy the Cab or something yeah, like he that. Does like, he looks just like him. Yeah. That's that's why I said that. It's yeah. amazing. Um, so uh, the uh, this game is not great. Uh, I, I don't think it's nearly as good as City Connection. Um, but... Uh, City Connection didn't get put out for the Amiga. So if you wanted to paint some streets on a 2D environment, uh, you can do that with Carve Up. Uh, and uh, you can check out my full review on the old YouTube channel. I think I may have played Carve Up on a stream uh, one time. I, 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 do, I do recall this. May, Benny maybe is his name. Thank you, Benny, Chad. Benny you is, go. yeah. Very, very good, boat. Very good. Uh, next on the docket, uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. It's myself and the Brent. Uh, this week we did on ARG we did a games from France. Uh, I believe this was a Chris Fold's suggestion, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Uh, and we looked at some game designers and game studios from France, and then uh, we picked our own games. I picked a game called The Fifth Axis, although it's got a French title. Le, it was Le Five Im Axe. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a sort of a, uh, uh, I don't know how you would describe it, sort of a uh, run around, avoid It's like pits. an impossible mission ripoff to me. Well, did you hear the episode already? Yeah, of course okay, I did. Okay, smarty. I every episode. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, but it, actually, it's, it's not bad. It's okay. Uh, I can control it pretty good. And it's then, totally understandable why people said that, though, because the way your guy runs, yeah. that awkward gate, that's right out of Impossible It looks good, though, and it's got multiple levels. I really, really, we played it on the MO, uh, the Thompson MO5, but I would recommend this, or might be the MO7, I recommend this on the C64. The second stage of this on the C64 is some of the best parallax scrolling I've ever seen on the C64. It's unbelievable, Boat. I really, mm -hmm. I was stunned. Uh, the Brent went ahead and picked a game that we actually played on this show uh, a few times, which was called the Alpha Wave or Continuum, uh, where you bounce around. I think the first time me and you played this was on Amigathon, one of the early yeah. ones, and yeah. uh, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. And, yeah, and Brent I sort of buried thing. it. I was like, man, come on, this is. I thought this was really good. Brent didn't seem to good. You know, Brent's argument on this is sort of like your argument for flashback. He didn't like the way it controlled. He thought it was. Uh, it, it, of course, he also he also said he thought this game was too bare bone. It was more like a tech demo. But I thought it was a pretty fun game, and I really enjoyed it. And I've played it on stream a couple of times too. So uh, anyway, if you're into games from France, check us out. Uh, ARG presents two twenty eight. Um, <laughs> I'll let you talk about this boat. This is the Coco Show, where we we were dreading this one, where we look you know, at color uh, color robot battle. You know, there are games that have bad controls. And there are games with no control. <laughs> Get right. ready, because Color Robot Battle is coming up the lane. <laughs> so, Color Robot Battle is a, is a game where you program a robot using sort of a simple programming language. And then you program your opposing robot. Ideally, you're doing this with a buddy. 
and then letting the robots fight it out in the arena. Um, that is, uh, that is uh, most of the game. Uh, th this game is, uh, is, is, it's a nonstop throw ride boat. <laughs> well, as you can tell from the video, it's there's there, a lot of times, unless you program your robots just right, it's even hard to get your robots to fire on each other. They'll it's just kind of meander about going about their business. Um, and it, these robots, they take a lot of hits to get worn down, too. And so a lot of the robot battles that you're going to want to have, you're going to want to be uh, doing something else at the time. You know, perhaps looking for a different game to play. Watching these bots fight, it's like if you turned on battle bots on TV, but you 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 were mostly blind and you'd taken a bunch <laughs> of ether, just huffed a, a can of ether where you're just everything's in super slow motion. And then you're ready to experience uh, color robot battle. That much said, I did enjoy this in a sick way because it was uh I, it was it's a it's a great way to sort of learn a programming language for a kid yeah again this is another game you have to kind of put yourself in the time frame sure, sure. although i will say when i played this in the time frame i looked at it one time and never played it again so but <laughs> i guess i'm not the i want the target audience for co for color robot battle but yeah with that kind of billing you know you've got to watch the show you can hear boat bury it in his full voice um and then lastly, Bo, we might as well talk about this. It's just your video for Rock and Roll Clams. You, you want to explain what this is? <laughs> so we're getting ready to uh, talk about Rock and Roll Clams on the Atari ST show. And um, I don't know if you if you knew this, but the ST, not the easiest thing in the world to emulate all the time. No. And so in the uh, on the YouTube scene, there are, is not a lot of video of Rock and Roll Clams. There is a short one. It is mostly just the title screen and the title music was just a little bit of gameplay. Yeah, music's great. So I, so I took it upon myself to record myself uh, a, an award-winning performance of the first two and a half levels of Rock and Roll Clams. <laughs> uh, you can check that out if you are super curious about the game before we talk about it and its eventual release uh, towards the end of this month. We recommend you watch this video in its entirety to fully prepare yourself for our look at Rock and Roll Clams. Oh, do you find it odd that uh, there's not not every ST game represented very well in the uh, YouTube area? It surprises me that that we it, come across it, this. It, this it, is the second time we've had to make a video for one of these. It doesn't surprise me because, like I said, the ST emulation scene is nowhere near as developed as the one for the Amiga. There you go. Um, and so that's just that's the long and short of it. Luckily, we have the Mister. The Mister yeah. makes everything better. And uh, nothing new on the stream team uh, this week. We got caught in between uh, cycles, but uh, we'll have something coming out tomorrow morning. Uh, look for it on the Amigos stream team. That's all we got, Boat. All right. Well, Aaron, last week, Patreon Song Challenge was Witchy Woman Ooh. by the Eagles. Yeah, that was the Paul. That's right. That's right. And so uh, we want to congratulate Petzl and Pac-Billy. Or uh, the correct answers. Uh, congratulations! I almost said you guys are the kings of the castle, Ske stealing Rob's gimmick. <laughs> you know what? You guys do that. are the the Patreon song winners. Um, so uh, this week we've got a new one, uh, and uh, I'm going to give it to you right now. If you know the answer, and you if you would like to be part of the Patreon song challenge, head on over to Patreon.com/slash/AmigosPodcast. I guess if you like the show and you want to support us, that's a good reason to join up too. Uh, you can be part of the Patreon song and get access to our Discord and put a couple bucks in our pocket to uh, play some more Amiga games. Of course, you don't have to pay us to play Amiga games. We'll do it anyway. 
at least some of them. So here we go. This is the new Patreon song challenge for this week. John at AmigosPodcast.com. Here we go. Don't say it. Oh, I do want to say first, we do have a new patron, Daniel James Miller. Welcome aboard. Here we go. Daniel James Miller, Mash Pie Explorer, Invid Edward, Robot Doctor, Pack, Billy, Robin David, Howard, Price, Jazz Dog, Art, Typer, Bumface, Pooh, Hands, Chris Edwards, Pretzel, Alarm, Albert Kemp, We Like What We Like, Mr. Cheap Bitter Price, Herman V, Wanderly Chesham, Mark Richardson, David Hearn, Ram, okay, Ram, okay, David Taylor, S. Jude Carlos, Matthew Mobius, The Phantom Magnus, Seth Yates, Alistair Fiend, David Z, George Ozanski, The Amiga Show, Daniel Crabtree, Super Family King, Crazy Loomis, William Vinciscar, Heavy Systems, Frag Lord, Mark Byland, Olaf Hope, Alien Breeder, Dave Losser, Raptor, Cabber Boy, Daniel Williams, Luke Hudson, Bomb Six, The Bass, Frodo NL, Soul Incisor, Tech Mage, Jurgen, Mr. Cola, Bernard Lucas, Jerry Dennington, Zorg Love, Reflection, Simon Letch, Boom, Captain Crispy, Killer Bison, Caffeine, Gary Heather, Boom. Free lunch, Kate Fox, David Pickford, Cameron Armstrong. Boom. Andy Jones, Lobsterminator, Minute Amiga Retrocast. Bernard Quinn, RMC, Tim Drew, Joseph Harrison. Kyle Letter, Rob O'Hara, Matthew Laramore, Andy Craig, Sean Zoho. Barkley Rowland, Burke and Monks, Joe the Zombie. Leif Kalan, Alan Kebab, Checko Taylor, Lord John Marshall, Matthew Perone, Creepy Dead Boy, Figure CTZ, The Slow Norris, Stefan, Sorgon Mortensen, Edvin Helland, Christopher Hassel, Rez Foles, Lauren Giroux, Graham Vipke, Adam Battersby, O'Brien's Retro and Vintage, Gary Hecker, Paul Harrington, Duncan Styles, <clears throat> Taze from the Crypt, Josh, Nat, and Bradley, Jonas Rulo, <clears throat> THT, Eric Nelson, Daniel Bingson, Darren Coles, <clears throat> Jason Warns, Pixels at Dawn, and Kjolbjorn Barman. I got that one. I don't know that one. All right. I mean, it was horrible, right. but I don't know what it was. All right. So we also want to thank our Twitch subscribers. Mm. Uh, these are the fine, fine folks that watch us each and every Friday live on Twitch around 5 p.m. We got RetroRewind.ca, Wide World of Retro, Retro Jerry, TSI Matt, Macintosh Librarian, Da Crabs MTG, Explorer, Petzl, K9Z9Zap, Amiga Live, Texas Foosballer, Memories of a Spectrum Gamer, Oil of Hope, Akutake, Blue Train, Luminate 08, Picard 2010, Back to 8-Bit with Hermsky, Brother Bill, Jigglebox, Mr. Rocket, Uber Scuba Diver, Thurso Bard, John Marshall 3, Still Adolescing, Amy Steph, Brock 101, Hayward Heel, Steve Burtz, Pints and Amiga, Great Al G, T and Nefarious, Mash Pie, M Cron, Real Retro Dude, Rob O'Hara, Buck Owens, Haldrith, Beach Bum 7, Mitsuyama, Eeyore 4077, and Holy Guacamole. Thanks, y'all. All right, Aaron. What are we going to be playing? Have a look, boat. Ooh, the Lost Patrol boat. 
Yeah, I've heard good things about this one, Aaron. I think it's going to be a good one. Did we try this on a uh, an Amigathon at some point? As uh, far as I know, we have not, but I could be wrong. We played a lot of games on Amigathon. We were really dazed. <laughs> yeah, and confused. It should be fun. I, I'm looking forward to it. I've heard good things about this one. Yeah, yeah. All right, so thank you all so much for watching. We will see you again next week. Until then, adios. adios.